Those are the sounds, thankfully not in Canada yet, but that's the sound of uh, protesters hammering on the doors of a library, a Jewish library at a school in the U.S. with Jewish students inside just praying for 40 minutes. They had to listen to that, praying that that door didn't come down. But that's what we call protest today, right? <laughs> I guess. We got another protest uh, for tonight, this time in uh, Mississauga. Glory to our martyrs, they're calling this. Isn't that nice? Martyrs. They call them resistors. They're called freedom fighters. Uh, today's designated terrorists are actually now openly celebrated and glorified because even when they slaughter babies or Holocaust survivors, it is uh, justified, if not completely denied as fake news. And we have mountains and mountains of actual evidence laying out all the inconvenient facts, uh, but we've got narratives that, you know, it didn't happen. Israel just made it up. It's just complete denial, and it's festering, and it's going unchallenged. And as my next guest writes, and you should read in the National Post today, quote, manic devotion to narrative can become so unhinged from reality, it more closely resembles a dangerous mental illness. Who wrote that? Terry Glavin, National Post columnist, senior fellow at the Raoul Wallenberg Center for Human Rights, and also you can read and should be reading on The Real Story, which you can find on Substack. Good morning to you. Morning, how are you doing? Well, I'm, I'm troubled. I will be honest with you. I don't really yeah. recognize my country. I mean, I asked earlier in the show, like, has the cheese fallen off the cracker? And I don't even think the cheese exists anymore. I think we've just gone crackers. Yeah, it's pretty sad. Uh, but the observation I would make is that this is, I think a lot of Canadians, like the penny's dropping, right? A lot of Canadians are sort of seeing this for the first time. And, uh, you know, there's been a lot of commentary about about this, um, about how, you know, uh, how deranged and, uh, and vulgar and, and shocking these, you know, sort of celebrations of Hamas brutality uh, have become. Um, and I, this is actually something I've been covering for about 20 years now. And uh, it's been there for a while. It's been festering for a long time. You know, the, the stuff that worries me is not so much some of the histrionic and extreme things that young Palestinian uh, foreign students in Canada will say after seeing, you know, the horrible circumstances that the people of Gaza are enduring at the moment, but the, what, what happens in the faculty lounges mm -hmm. and in the public sector unions and across uh, you know, polite societies. There's this kind of genteel uh, anti-Semitism that's been uh, that's gone unchallenged and has been accommodated and tolerated in this country for far too long. Uh, and it's not just anti-Semitism. I think you have to sort of see anti-Semitism in this context as a symptom of a disease yeah. rather than the disease itself. But it's bad. It's really bad. But it goes completely unchallenged, and not, not just by the politicians who all have their heads in the sand on this. They just don't want to offend any possible voter, um, but, but also like the media. Like, there's just no challenging at all, and I think it's because there's a lot of people that don't understand the issues, right? The Middle East is a very complex issue. I mean, people don't understand that, yes, you can criticize Israel. That's not anti-Semitic. 
but they don't know what is anti-Semitic. You know, they go around yelling, well, it's an apartheid state. And I'm like, okay, well, really? You can choose your own school yeah. in Israel. They've got, uh, you know, three Arabs on the, the top court, uh, you know, as the justices. I mean, you can have a freedom to vote. How, how is it an apartheid? But it is a, a, a accepted truth. These things are taking root and, um, and no one does anything about it. Yeah, this is, this is what I was trying to get at, um, you know, what fanaticism does. It really does begin to resemble something like a very dangerous mental illness. You know, people who talk this way um, and use this, these kinds of polemics, they really are unreachable, I'm afraid. They're unpersuadable. But there's a lot of them. Um, and it goes back a long time. I mean, there's a lot of people who, fair play to them, you know, a lot of people um, of the sort of, you know, Zoomer generation have grown up in this environment in which Israel is cast as this illegitimate settler colonial apartheid state. Um, and, you know, it takes them a little bit of reading to actually understand that this is kind of a cockamamie way of understanding Israel. But there's also something much deeper and darker here, and it goes back a long time. Um, Hamas and Palestinian Islamic Jihad and Hezbollah are on the terrorist lists of pretty well every civilized country on earth. And 20 years ago, when Canada was preparing to put Hamas and Palestinian Islamic Jihad and Hezbollah on the terrorist list, there were actually organizations who lobbied against it. And they're still out there, Canada-Palestine Association, the International Solidarity Movement in Vancouver, No One Is Illegal, um, the Stop War Coalition, if you don't mind. Uh, they'd already opposed banning the Popular Front for the Liberation of Palestine. That was a group that was best known probably for, you know, the raid on Entebbe. Um, and also the, they opposed the uh, banning of the Palestine Liberation Front, probably best known for uh, the uh, hijacking of the cruise ship Achille Loro. Um, these are fascists. These are fascists. They're, they're, in fact, uh, Hamas uh, is, a, is the Palestinian wing of the Egyptian Muslim Brotherhood. The Egyptian Muslim Brotherhood was most lavishly subsidized by the Third Reich in the 1940s. Ismail Haniya, the grand wazoo of, of, of Hamas, who lives in luxury in Qatar, is the direct heir and successor of the of um, the, the former Mufti of Jerusalem, uh, uh, Hajul al Husseini, who was Hitler's um, most valued ally in the Arab world. Mm. They're fascists, and the PFLP is the same thing. They they had their birth uh, in uh, in funding from a Swiss Nazi who funded Adolf Eichmann's defense in Israel and funded the defense of the Butcher of Lyon. They are Nazis. And so we have all of these uh, alleged you know, peace groups and uh, anti-war groups in Canada who have been for 20 years actively supporting Nazis and theocratic fascists. And uh, I think people are beginning now to sort of wake up to this, and it's a shock yeah. to a lot of people. Yeah, well, it's it not not to the Jews, it's not. 
Um, but, you know, in Germany, uh, France, UK, all pushing back. They've got big, big problems, but just not not accepting it right now at all. In fact, those some of those countries are saying, look, if you're here on a visa, any kind of visa, if you're not a citizen, you're out. We're not going to accept this kind of stuff. You know, in 2015, as you know, Stephen Harper wanted to make glorifying terror and these kinds of things that we see are flying a Hamas flag illegal. That, of course, got into a wedge issue of racism. But I don't know how you put the toothpaste back in this tube. Yeah. I don't know how it's, you do it. It's a hard we, one. Well. It's a hard one. I mean, it's, it's not hard. I mean, I think a lot of Canadians say, well, why, we shouldn't let this in this country at all. This should not be acceptable. Yeah. But who's going to lead on that and say, fine, if you're a student visa, if you're not here on a visa or a permit and you're at these things glorifying it, you're out. But I, I just don't think Canadians will do that. And it could be very well much to our detriment. Or is well, where, the difficulty is where do you deport these people? I, I think the most vocal and best organized, most comfortable, the wealthiest uh, advocates and proponents of this notion of Hamas being some sort of national liberation movement mm. are uh, well well healed uh, white Canadians. Mm. Uh, you know what do you do? What do you do with them? Well, you know, I can think of a few things, but I just think, you know what, don't fund them, <laughs> don't give them money. You know, if your union's out there is toting this stuff, no member should have to pay for it. And if your university yeah. union is, is is spouting this stuff off, then university should be cut off of taxpayer dollars, uh, you know, Jewish donations, whatever. But again, uh, uh, this has, has to be it's stopped. I, I admit, like, I'm kind of a, you know, I'm a journalist, so I'm kind of a free speech guy. And I, I would very, very, very much worry what a law prohibiting the glorification of terrorism, how that law would yeah. be constructed and prosecuted under this particular government. I would, or any government you know, with our charter. Yeah. Well, it's difficult, you know, like the, particularly this government, you know, the problematization of terrorism, my gosh, God knows, you know, you probably wouldn't be able to sing Irish rebel songs at the <laughs> pub on St. Patrick's <laughs> Day. Yeah. But um, it, it's, it's, it is a tough one, and it's, it is curious. Canada is one of the few jurisdictions in the world where it's, you know, you have everybody, you know, and they, they're, they're, they're trying to be nice, I guess. you got Pierre Polyev, Jagmeet Singh, uh, Trudeau, all saying, you know, there is no place in Canada for the glorification of terrorism. Canada is one of the few places in the world where it's actually legal. legal yeah. to do it, you know? yeah. And nothing will so, happen, so... It's tough, you know, but we, I really think we do need to start looking at this seriously and not in the context of what we imagine diaspora politics to be, um, uh, you know, because a lot of that is actually, you know, a politician walks into a room, some kind of an ethnic group, he looks for the most powerful person in that room and courts that person and that constituency. And often that person and that constituency does not enjoy the support of the ethnic constituency mm. whose votes you're hoping to get. So, you know, I think we saw this in 2015 and 2019, that there's no such thing as the Arab vote in Canada. Yeah. You have Syrian Arabs who are um, as, as, as sort of pro-Western and Israel-friendly as any of the of anyone in the Arab world, and we are so fortunate to have uh, have those refugees come to Canada. Um, but that, but you know the thing is the thing that really worries me is like you know you can kind of understand or you can get your head around the idea that if you got if you live in Gaza and you know an Israeli uh, you know the, the Israelis have targeted a Hamas a Hamas uh, some infrastructure, a missile launching site, 
and the bomb, the blast radius is a bit bigger than it was supposed to have been, and your family gets killed, you'll say all kinds of crazy things. You'll be, you know, bent out of shape. Mm. How do you explain mm. Red Hawn, yeah. you know, the president, the vice president to the QP? How do you explain um, that, you know, what's her name, Harsha Walia uh, in Vancouver giving a speech, you know, talking about how beautiful the Hamas terrorists were, their, their, their love of freedom. And their uh, letters, you know, yeah. people in really comfortable, uh, privileged positions in Canada saying these kinds of things and adopting these kinds of standpoints and supporting this kind of gruesome anti-Semitism red in tooth and claw. I think that's the thing we, as a country, we need to we need to start thinking very very seriously about the implications here, what this means, where this came from, and what the hell we're going to do with these people. Yeah, well, it's going to take a lot of leadership, uh, Terry. I'm out of time. Always uh, love having you on, so I appreciate it. Thank you. Nice talking, yeah. There you go, Terry Glavin, and you can read him in the National Post today. But yeah, wh- what are we doing about it? I don't think we have much time to talk. I think we actually just have to deal with it.